0: Welcome to Transformers, the podcast about how business people and policymakers are creating a sustainable future. I'm your host, Kai Embren. My guest today is Sasha Beslik. He worked at Nordea Bank for many years as head of sustainable finance. He went on to work for the Swiss J Safra Bank as a senior executive in sustainable finance and business development until last September, when he joined the largest Danish pension fund PFA as a head of sustainability, tasked with a central role to help the pension fund transition to a sustainable path. In 2020, Beslik was ranked as the world's most influential person within green finance. He is a co-author of the book Where the Money Tree Grows? And he is an ESG expert that helps a large audience understand the ins and outs of ESG in the weekly newsletter ESG on a Sunday. He has a BA in economics and journalism. Welcome Sasha. Thank you very much Kai for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. So Sasha, do we have a finance ESG toolbox that uh, meet the challenges of today?
1: I mean, look. Over the, the the ESG and sustainable investments have exploded for the last couple of years, and I think the reason is that it, it's quite obvious that the financial toolbox can be used for developing solutions to to assist and basically contribute to addressing these sustainable development goals, but also addressing climate crisis that we are facing right now. And the, but the hard thing is still that the underlying economic models we operate are the structure that is very short term incentivized and. Uh, yeah time horizons that we are using are still not adjusted to what we actually need to do so that the challenge for 20 years and challenge today it's pretty much the same although what is different is that today everybody knows that and accepts somehow that ESG is a part of the financial industry's fabric but uh, th- th- there is a plenty of work to be done on how this can be deployed in a good way
0: but you also have been uh, had a central function in in the nordia bank in 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 uh, Scandinavia and um, that was in in a time where a lot of this type of issue evolved. Yes. And um, how do you see your role in ODEA and what what was the biggest challenges uh, when you were as a head of sustainability?
1: Look I mean it's, it's for me it's not a context it's not a, it's not a place or bank or name of the bank or it's more of the context where where I was operating and the context of working for uh, the, the organization that has both exposure on the investment side but also on the balance sheet side so credit loans uh, all of these things. and I think what was the challenging part is to try to combine, You know, all the expectations that you will have in an organization where you need to deliver on a bottom line and at the same time deliver to clients in terms of returns and in the same time address some of these quite complex things like uh, transition to a low carbon economy, you know, circular business models and all these things. So it is a it's a continuous challenge. It has been a challenge at the time, but it's still a challenge, I say. In, in many ways, because it's still sort of, if you look at the, and I want to be very clear, if you look at the world and energy mix we have today and all the hopes that we have for renewable energy to sort of uh, create even bigger impact on the energy mix going forward, still 2060, I mean, the likelihood of us having 65% dependency on fossil fuel is still here. So it's still, this is still a complexity. So how do you change people's minds? How do you get them incentivized to actually try to change the way how they invest? It's the same thing as it was. Back in 20 years, the only, as I I told you, the only difference is that nowadays you don't need to sort of bang your head against the wall. You can actually have a conversation about this. Uh, 20 years ago, you had to bang your uh, head against the wall because uh, it was not easy to have these conversations.
0: have been closing in to issues that um, because as a bank uh, you provide credits and uh, land investment capital uh, to the oil and coal sector and um, and then we look at the issues around the arctic uh, many of the scandinavian banks has been there for uh, new oil extractions Mm -hmm. and uh, you also in your one of your newsletter Talk about the Nor- Norway's oil and gas commitment right. as, a, as a punch in the face. You said yeah. in your newsletter. What, what do you mean by that?
1: I mean, look, it's it's uh, to put it in a context. So you have the national oil corporations and the sovereign states. They own about ninety percent of all the oil and gas reserves around the world so it's in this particular context you have Nordic countries that are uh, on the forefront pioneers of tackling climate crisis having very ambitious targets you know Norway country having uh, subsidies for electrical vehicles all of these looks nice but in the same time while this is done the the um, the government of Norway is issuing new licenses for oil and gas drilling in the arctic region and by doing so also basically stipulating that Continuous oil extraction will contribute that you have increased emissions and there is no chance for us to actually be able to tackle that. Now, their argument is that they uh, they are far more efficient than any other uh, extractive industry nation in the world and their oil is most environmental in the world. So the question is, how do we combine, how do you have countries like Sweden, Norway, Finland and Denmark, Nordic countries with these targets? Uh, of being, you know, carbon neutral by 2050 and at the same time doing things that are actually not contributing to that. And this is exactly the complexity that you, we spoke about earlier, is the complexity of having uh, to look at your economic model and try to understand, okay, how can we transform economy in our country towards being uh, more sustainable? And in Norway's case, giving the dependency on oil and gas sector, it's very hard and it's a very hard call for them and I completely understand that. But in the same time it is a punch in the face where you have in Swedish politicians going out saying that we're going to increase the tax on plastic bags and then Norway next day issues new uh, oil and gas licenses. So, you know, symbolic actions on the one side and the systemic issues on the other side. So how do you combine these things? We are aware of the fact that there is a substantial risk that we will increase our emissions by 16, between 16 to 18 percent by 2030 which is far off track we need to halve them and uh, it means that you know we need to look at the way how we avoid doing you know unsustainable businesses going forward and honestly I don't think I haven't seen anybody having a proper discussion about these underlying economic models because they are based on on growth and uh, continuous consumption so nobody's questioning that but we are just trying to solve the, the consequences. Nobody's talking about the causes. And Norway is a typical example of that because Norway has, in so many ways, opportunity, yeah. given the, the wealth they have, to transform the economy towards something more sustainable. But nevertheless, what they are choosing to sustain that kind of a business, sustain a business that supports number of working uh, Uh, places in Norway, and by doing so, uh, contributing in a very bad way to to increase the the likelihood of having big challenges with climate crisis.
0: You are now going to work in Denmark, and Denmark has, uh, by the politician, put up um, a deadline for go out from the oil and gas industry and and, be the best. And um, uh, Sweden has a more advanced uh, take on this uh, to reach their climate targets. And uh, then we have the Nordic collaboration. Now we have social democratic governments in Finland, Norway, Denmark and Sweden. How do you think they're going to deal with this type of issue? the oil industry in the Arctic.
1: But you see, this is the, exactly the point. on the, shake, the government's on the shaky legs. There is no, if I understand correctly, that will be a very interesting thing to have a Nordic climate target, to have a target that Nordic countries actually together align around and then contribute uh, based on their own uh, capabilities to do that, collaborating, trying to find a way. Instead of having national the NDCs targets for, for climate, we should have a Nordic ones. And and that will in- include that then Swedish and, and Danish and Norwegian, including Finn, would need to agree what are the things that we do together to tackle transformation of our industries where they are CO2 heavy emitters into something else. For Denmark, it's easy to say no to oil because the exposure is not that big. Sweden is an industrial country. Norway is oil and gas, sort of a fish, fish industry dependent country. Finland has technology and a forest. So there are ways how we could find a way to. Um, to develop that but that discussion needs to take place it's actually not taking place right now you have a nordic council of ministers that is discussing this but as you could see during the covid situation nordic uh, collaboration has taken a serious hit because the governments have taken different uh, measures to tackle this so and that's that sort of indicates how complex this is for some of it didn't work for technical reasons, because not many people know that Swedish uh, legal system does not actually have a law to support the government action on, you know, shutting down the societies and all of that. That's because Sweden is the only country, I guess, in the Nordics who hasn't had experience of the Second World War and other things. So there are different sort of legal reasons why we did the, the way we did. But of course, I mean, it indicates that we have a trouble and challenge uh, cooperating
0: among uh, you know, ourselves,
1: depending on, on, on the issues that we need to deal with. Mm.
0: But you, you're also now going to into new areas of uh, industrial investment for the pension funds. And, and right. we know that a lot of money is going into mining for raw material and high energy juice, and uh, will be conflicting with the energy juice and, and material that is not um, used uh, sustainable how yeah. can you build this portfolio uh, portfolio for the future with the sustainable profile uh, when true. we look at batteries steam production carbon capture and storage this is the the, the sort of a, the, the challenge of the industry so right now you have all of the funds
1: in the world more or less are sustainable that's what the marketing is about so everybody's sustainable everybody's doing what they're supposed to do and the world still looks the way that it does which means that there is a disconnect there is a dissonance between the primary economy and secondary economy where the investors are and it there is a dissonance because giving the sort of a system we have in incentive models we have The way to invest in sustainable solution will entail much bigger time horizons and different incentive models and different evaluation models for investments. And that is something that is still not discussed to the extent that it needs to be discussed because it is uh, something industry is just trying to provide some kind of a solution from a sustainability point on the investment side, tackling... I would say on the surface level some of the challenges providing some investments to, to some industries in order to transform them but in general
0: the big shift is not taking place but where is the problem where do you where do you see that we need to change you know i think my personal view is that
1: we uh, you know we've been running our market economy, growth-based consumption based economic model for many years. and I think it has served us well, at least the ones that living in a Western developing world uh, on the cost on the back of the costs that we have created to some other places in the world. So now it, th- this system has created what it has created right now, depletion of resources, you know climate uh, damage, environmental damage, um, inequality in many places. So now we need to ask ourselves, is this system really contributing to prosperity of the world for many? And I don't, I don't think at this stage we can say it does, but we don't have anything else to replace it with. So we run it the way we run it before. I think we need to look at the core elements of, of model of the economic growth and, and, and consumption-based system that we have and try to find a new ways to, to run this. Circular economy idea is one thing, but... There are other things that we could do, like changing the corporate charters. I mean, corporate charters in the UK and Sweden hasn't been changed for the last 150 years. The, the role of the of the board of directors and the CEO is still the same and has been for 150 years. The environment we live in is completely different. The expectations on the company are different. The fiduciary duty of the company is different. So, And all of these things from a legal perspective Uh, need to be addressed and changed, and I know that the European Union has been trying to address fiduciary duty, but it has received 500 million comments on this and has basically parked that discussion on the side, and that's something that I think we need to be fair with and say that we are really climate crisis and climate change is a consequence of something. And the consequence of something, we need to go to courses. And when we look at the courses of this, we are really not willing to change that. We are not changing business models. So you live in the UK. So you have a Paul Pullman saying at Unilever, will stop doing quarterly reporting. In the financial industry, all of us were expecting, oh, fine. Now everybody's going to do that. That's going to be fine. At least a little bit of a long term. But that has not taken place. All the, all the big companies in the Stockholm Stock Exchange, 61, 60 of them, they have not stopped quarterly reporting. They're still doing the same thing as they did before. And how can you deliver sustainability improvements if you have a quarter capitalism? That's not how it works.
0: And the role of the politicians, what it's
1: can they big, do? I mean, it's a great role. Look, what politicians did with the Sustainable Financial Disclosure Regulation, SFDR, and the, forcing the industry in European Union to disclose how sustainable their products, it's a great thing. It's just a bit too late. It's late, but it's it's a, it's a fantastic. They can do a lot. You can clearly see that this regulation has shifted the capital flows, at least on paper to start with, from being completely, you know, off tracks in terms of what they invest in and going aligning that with the Paris targets and aligning that with the the EU taxonomy. So of course they have a huge role to play.
0: If we look into ourselves as a consumer and uh, be talking about uh, uh, the pension system and pension saving, with this background, we talk about the problem of to change direction. And and how could I, uh, as a pensionist, secure that my savings will be invested in an ethical and a social responsible way. Yeah. It, that's a hard job because uh,
1: first of all, you have, um... The financial industry and the pension industry will have an upper hand on the information side. So you will need to spend a lot of time to understand what you actually get. So the problem today is that industry is delivering uh, investment solutions to clients, you and many others, claiming they are sustainable, but actually selling you a process, not the product that gives you something that is tangible. So what you want is that you want to invest your pension in something that you can feel that, okay, I get the return, whatever that is given the risk that I'm taking, and I'm also, with my money, contributing to decrease emissions, increase human rights uh, management uh, of of certain risks, social issues, health and safety, supply chain management, and all of these things. Because the format how these investments are done, and because they don't have a clear objective, you have very big uh, difficulties to understand what you get. So the answer to your question is that it's hard. It's hard to uh, to take that responsibility. It's possible, yes. You have players that they offer products that actually can give you a sense and give you understanding and tangible results, but there are not many.
0: Now, I think you did something in Nordea Bank when you had that position.
1: Yes, I did in terms of uh, in terms of showing that that you know. Uh, if you uh, if you calculate your symbolic activities over the year and you compare that to how much money is invested in your pension and then you calculate CO2 emissions that are emitted through your pension money, it was 27 times more uh, on your pension side than on your symbolic side. So you have to sort of, when you think about your personal CO2 footprint per year, which is in Sweden about 8 tonnes per person a year, the real number is then multiplied with 27 because 27 is... Come 27 times more comes from the investments that are made in the companies uh, that emit CO2 emissions. So you have to put this into context because if you take a train and not a plane, if you eat vegetables instead of meat, which is symbolically very good. And at the same time, your pension money is invested in, in these industries. So what's the point? You need to understand the consequence of this.
0: But will this be uh, any of your priorities in your new position as a head of yes. sustainability in the biggest yes. Danish pension fund PFA?
1: Yes, yes, it will and it will also be a, a responsibility to actually show the results. That's why I'm I'm very focused on that, how to show results, how to show the tangible results and that that's the next task for the next
0: couple of years. Yes. So maybe you find the collaboration between the Nordic countries in these fields? I indeed hope so. I'll try to do my best, yeah. Well, when we look at the trends in the field of sustainability, where do you see the, the challenges? I mean, there are many. One is the pricing externality.
1: So you have to understand that the models that we run, DCF models, discounting cash flow models, and all of these things, they do not entail cost of externality. So there is no price on CO2 emissions. And if there is no price, how are you going to price that in your model? To determine where to invest. So, see the the lack of, of global CO2 price is something that we have to live with. I don't think we're going to have it for various reasons. So that's one challenge. Number one. The challenge number two is that you still have this um, of a disconnect between the university education uh, for the financial analyst and what they face when they come to the reality. They need to re- we need to reprogram some of that. They are not taught how to uh, to work with this. You have um, issue of uh, Uh, one year time horizon for investments if somebody tells you uh, a sustainable investment fund and says it will deliver your results on a yearly basis forget about it because that's not true that's not how it works Uh, so there, there are plenty of things you know both i would say inside industry things from education culture you know all of these things but also technical things in terms of the pricing with co2 emissions pricing of externalities you know uh, how do you develop new models? It's its all of that is interconnected. The own shop uh, on, on ESG, SDGs, all of this, to, to, to be able to offer clients a product. And giving there are no clear definitions, bear in mind that EU taxonomy only defines a climate angle of E, S, and G. So not even other angles of E, only only climate. It means that there are many ways to package, to, to dress the bride uh, for sale. And that is what is happening right now. It's an unfortunate. It's going to hurt the industry a lot. But I think that's just a process we need to go through. It's just the way it is. We just need to go through that maturity phase of this. And on the other side, maybe in five years' time for now, you will have the financial industry, with the, which will be probably divided in the people that are really doing this and people
0: that will stop doing it because they are going to get hurt. Well, if you take one of these words, uh, ESG, yeah. uh, investing, uh, what, what do you see in the future now? And the, or we look at 2021 and, and further on. And what, what are the trends in this field?
1: I mean, if I look 10 years ahead, which are these are the sort of the time spans that I'm looking at. So if you look 10 years ahead, I, I think you're going to see more diversified type of these kind of investments. One, number one, more diversified in terms of they're going to be more niche. They're going to be more regional. They're going to be more targeted in terms of what they're really targeting, not broad ESG, plain vanilla type ESG, but far more sort of a targeted. In terms okay, of, these are the sectors we want to hit. These are the uh, the issues we want to address. Uh, you don't have that today because what, you ha- what you're what you looking for today is you're looking for the scalable products, which will appeal to as many clients as possible so you can scale and operate them on a, on a low cost level. And then I think it's going to change. Uh, I think in the future you will have even more, I think, focus on socioeconomic side of, of es g because of the climate crisis creating a lot of inequality, inequality leading to, uh, to a lot of social issues. So it's going to be another type of products that will come up. And in this SFDR regulation, you have more, uh, quite apparently more focus on objective driven products or objective driven investments in terms of what they are trying to achieve with these investments in a certain period of time. So that's where the industry is moving. Yeah. And okay. then maybe one, one thing to add is that the, the ESG industry, investment industry, has been very much Western European sort of a thing. The American capital uh, is not really part of, of that. US-based asset owners and managers are just entering this space and they have different definitions on, on what ESG is and should be for them. So you will see differences in different parts of the world on this.
0: In your book, uh, when you launched uh, some weeks ago, uh, where the money tree grows, you go into the question that social system does not work and no one seems to want to change the system. Where is business and politics acting in? Where is the problem? And where do we need to act to have a chance to change the direction?
1: I mean, the the first thing on the system is that we really start need to start discussing and in, engaging and having a dialogue, open dialogues, about what is the the market economic system that we have that is growth based and consumption based. What are the issues? And we know, I mean, we see them, but we can't ignore them anymore. So we need to sort of discuss. Okay, how do we how do we change? How do we shift this? How do we change the components, incentive models, corporate charters? What what do we need to do to address this in a real sense, not just on the edges but actually in the middle of it so systemic changes in terms of let me give you an example so right now you have a shift in in the vehicle industry around the world towards you know no fossil driven combustion engine so it means that we are shifting our our vehicle sort of a personal and a other type of vehicle industry towards being electrical vehicles and so on but if uh, Uh, And this systemic change will entail that you have a plan how to deal with consequences uh, related to use of rare materials, metals, cobalt, nickel and others in this new systemic landscape. But the problem we have is that we haven't addressed in this shift from fossil combustion engines to electrical vehicles. We have not addressed the, the consequences related to this. So I assume that, you know, if you look at the numbers... By 2030, with this rate, growth rate of electrical vehicles, the, the cobalt that is mainly found in, in DRC in Congo will uh, be completely used by 2030. So what are we going to do then? We're going to replace that with the hydrogen cars. And what kind of hydrogen is that? And how is it's going to be? Uh, it's going to be a green one or yellow or gray one or blue one. No. Or So I think systemic change entails that we think, how do we, you know, shift from where we are in more su- to more sustainable business solutions that are truly sustainable. That take into account all these elements, and this is what what we are not doing.
0: So, who do you want to read your book?
1: Look, I mean, we wrote the book uh, to 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 almost like a manual for people who want to understand what the issue is, how does it work. Uh, there are interesting cases in the book about companies company analysis on, on the ESG side there's a lot of lot of uh, background information on you know contextuality of ESG where does it sort of a, where does it make sense and where it doesn't make sense everybody anybody who is interested in understanding how financial toolbox can be used in a sustainable way should read it because it has a I think we had a great success. The book was a a top sale on Amazon in the U.S. for a number of weeks. There's a huge interest. uh, So I would recommend it, you know, for anybody who wants to understand how ESG actually in practice could work. And I also share many of my examples and experiences from the different places in the world I've been.
0: so which are the best uh, stories for you to tell for the listener today
1: look from from uh, the book the, the most extravagant stories is that i spent some time a uh, couple of days in indian prison because of of uh, water samples that i was taking out from from uh, from india on the water pollution related to pharmaceutical industry the other examples, the, the Standing Rock minus 35 degrees meeting the the chief of the Standing Rock that was arrested just shortly after our meeting because he was protesting against this XL pipeline that many of the European and US-based investors were investing. There are a lot of stories. Some- a, book,
0: a book is always uh, open your mind. and uh, But you can also go and look out on the streets and there you see Greta Thunberg and... Extinct rebellion and other actors who are working outside the parliaments and and is that the sign of something that you feel can change the direction?
1: Oh yes, I think the, it's 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 quite obvious that there is a movement among young people around the world and they are the ones that are going to vote in different countries in different ways. I think definitely it's a sign that that there is a. You know, disappointment, I think, and also a lot of hope and expectations in the young generation that, that we need to act and we need to do it now. So I welcome that. And I think that, you know, it shows quite obviously that that uh, what I'm talking about, the system, that the system needs to sort of evolve uh, and we need to start discussing what that evolve, what does it mean in practice? And, and I'm very sort of a concern about the fact that uh, currently in our economies and in our developed world, we are not having an honest discussion about how we can move
0: this, what we have. Have into something else, and um, if Greta Thunberg and other young people coming into to a bank or trying to find a way to save money for the future, uh, do do you think we have system in place uh, when they no, grow up?
1: No, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think they will. Uh, we have, and I think also it will be interesting to uh, to have these young people who are. Uh, you know, uh, adults now, and uh, to, to use their interest, the activism, and to visit financial institution and ask them questions. Ask about, you know, they want to save and they want to invest and what is sustainable. I think that dialogue needs to happen.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Sasha, for, for this talk. Thank you, Kai. Thank you. I'm Kai Embren. Follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn where I will be announcing the future guests to this podcast. And you can expect about two programs a month. And each guest has a unique story of making business and society sustainable. So find out more. Visit my homepage, KaiEmbren.org. Thank you for listening.